And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to The Real Investment Show. It's the third best, second best day of the week. Right? Third, Actually, third best. Tomorrow will be second best. Friday is the best day of the week, of course, as always. We're going to get there. Who's counting? Who's, ca- who's counting for the weekend already? When's our next holiday coming up? That's what we need to be doing. Monday. <laughs> Monday. I know, right? Already got a holiday coming up right around the corner. Seems like we just got through with holidays. We needed a holiday to get over our holidays. <laughs> this is actually a point. That's true. So anyway, uh, a couple of things this morning. Now, we're going to get into this more with Michael Leibowitz uh, when he gets here as well because he's our resident Fed expert. Jerome Powell. Up on uh, Capitol Hill, basically giving testimony now. Now, now remember that Jerome Powell recently reappointed to his post as Fed chairman by Joe Biden. So he's now, you know, serving another term as Fed chairman. Yesterday, giving testimony, said some very interesting things. Um, and and there, there are some things that we need to be thinking about now as we move further into this year. First of all, he said that economic growth is very strong and the economic recovery is doing very well. Now, in order to prolong that economic recovery, we've got current levels of high inflation that was caused by the supply chain shutdown. And these inflationary pressures are now starting to potentially weigh on that economic recovery that we're having. So with regards to that, he now needs to, he feels, and he and the rest of the Fed members feel, they need to more aggressively raise interest rates and tighten their balance sheet. Okay, now, if we were in a normal organic recovery that was occurring, I would absolutely agree with his his sentiment. And that if inflation was a function of really strong economic growth that was organic in nature, I would agree with the statement that we need to be much more aggressive about hiking monetary policy. But what he seems to forget, and and really, when this comes down to a lot of mainstream economists, right? If you listen to the television media, read a lot of articles, they're talking about how great the economic recovery is, yet we all forget, or at least seem to forget, that this economic recovery was a function of $5 trillion worth of fiscal liquidity Uh, and mind you, debt-funded fiscal liquidity provided by the government into the economy, right? We we sent $1,400 checks to households, $900 checks to households, $1,400 checks to households, extended unemployment benefits, child care tax credits, you name it. We were flooding households with liquidity. So what did they do with that money? Of course, they went out and they spent it. Well, the economy was shut down. So of course, you had supply chain disruptions because you couldn't produce enough inventory to meet the pull forward demand of all this liquidity pumped into the economy. So we've pulled forward a lot of that liquidity. All that liquidity was used to pull forward demand. So in other words, people were out buying stuff that they wouldn't have bought in 2020 or 2021 because they didn't have the capital. All of a sudden they have it and they go, woohoo, can't travel. Let's go buy a new washing machine, dryer, whatever it was, they'll go buy a new car. So. We pull forward all that demand. Now, the problem, <coughs> excuse me, the problem for the Fed is that they're thinking that the economic recovery and the supply chain disruptions are a function of a strong organic economic recovery, yet it was really the function of all this liquidity, which now is retrenching out of the system because we haven't passed any more bills. Uh, the Build Back Better bill, which was going to extend the child tax credit. That seems to be, at least at this moment, dead in the water. Doesn't seem to be any more fiscal liquidity bills coming down the, the pike, even though uh, Nancy Pelosi recently saying now is the time to do another one. We need to do another one. Americans need more money in their pockets. Well, of course they do. You're about to go up for re-election, so you certainly want to give everybody a chicken in the pot, right? So this is the problem is that we don't have any more of this fiscal liquidity coming into the market. So what consumers had, they'd spent. And now this inflation created by that pull forward demand is eating into, it's eroding their ability to maintain their cost of living because the inflation's running higher than wage growth. Businesses are now struggling 
with higher wages. That's going to begin impacting their profit margins. Now, when wages rise to the point that it impedes the profit margins for businesses, what do they do? They can either pass on that inflation to a point to consumers, their customers, or they begin trying to minimize costs within their business structure to maintain profit margins. What does that mean? Well, that means we stop hiring people and we start laying them off. This becomes a deflationary spiral in wages ultimately as that occurs and that starts to push the economy towards a recession. Here's the problem for the Fed. The whole premise of their belief is that this is an organic recovery. It wasn't a a temporary illusion of recovery created by $5 trillion worth of stimulus that is now gone. So now the Fed's going to be hiking rates and pushing tighter monetary policy onto an economy at the time that liquidity is leaving the system. So you're going to start having a retrenchment of this economic growth, a reduction in inflation as we get further into this year as demand begins to wane on the system. We've already seen inventories come up. We're already starting to see a lot of the supply chain disruptions starting to fade here. And this is because demand is already starting to slow. Uh, Disposable personal income, savings rates, those are all returning now back to previous trend growth that we saw prior to all this pandemic-driven liquidity. So the Fed has now potentially put themselves into a very, very tight position. The risk going into this year is that they make a monetary policy mistake. And again, we'll talk more about this with Michael Leibowitz tomorrow, the ramifications of this. But, you know, these are the things you really want to start focusing on. Now, it's not something that's going to happen immediately, but this is going to start changing the dynamic of the market as we get further into this year. And as we talked about earlier, um, you know, one of the things that we expect this year more than anything else is probably a much more volatility. So again, you know, you're going to start to see more drawdowns of two, three, four, five, ten percent. You'll see more uh, a more common occurrence of those potentially this year. Don't know for sure, but that would be reasonable to expect in an environment where you're beginning to hike rates. Again, you're going to see a lot of initial commentary say initial rate hikes by the Fed don't matter. They don't. It's to the point that they hike rates that all of a sudden something breaks within the markets. Now think about everything that is debt driven in the economy right now. People have been out buying houses like crazy over the last couple of years. Why? Because we gave them a down payment. (laughs) Interest rates were low. We gave them money to go buy a house. They went and bought a house. The problem is now is they've got to maintain it. Now, as interest rates start to go up, what happens to the refinance market? Well, people stop refinancing their mortgage. I'm not going to refinance my mortgage at a higher rate. That makes no sense. And I'm not going to buy a house at a higher rate because if I'm a consumer looking to buy a house, A, as rates go up, prices of homes come down. So all these people that bought overpriced houses, they're now going to be underwater, unable to sell their house. And people looking to buy a house are going to do two things. One, they're going to say, well, you know, prices are coming down. I think I'll wait to see if prices come down a little bit more. That's deflation. And that's the psychological um, response to deflation is to wait to see if prices go lower. The second thing they're going to do is, say, well, I'm not going to buy a house with, with rates here. I'm going to wait to see if rates come back down again. Why? Because rates always come back down again. This is going to start to feed that whole psychology feeds through the economy. And this is where you wind up with that inverted yield curve. Ultimately, that would probably be something later this year, uh, late 2022, start to see that inversion of the yield curve. That'll start setting up the premise for a recession. And that's all assuming the Fed maintains their current tact. My suspicion is that as soon as this all starts to occur, the Fed backs off. But we'll see how this plays out over the next couple of weeks. We'll talk more about this with Michael Leibowitz. But Danny Ratliff joining me here after the break to talk about does Asset allocations at one size fits all. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Anyone can sell you insurance and they'll gladly take your premium dollars. The RIA Insurance Agency can provide you with insurance solutions tailor-made for your needs and lifestyle. Because everyone's assets are different, let RIA Insurance review what you need to protect and how. We won't sell you insurance, but what you need will be a matter of policy. RIA Insurance Agency. 888-915-0780. 888-915-0780. RealInvestmentAdvice.com. Click on the insurance tab. 
Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, or again, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Do you know what you don't know when hiring and retaining quality employees? Compensation is more than just wages. It's personal time off. The vacation days, healthcare benefits, a 401k. Do you know what's important to them? Hi, I'm Tom Allen, RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Let us show you how to make the most of an affordable, effective package that will deliver true value for your business and your employees. Call me toll free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. Bulls win in bull markets. Bears win in bear markets. Eagles soar above and take advantage of opportunity. Let us help you soar as you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors, 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. caffeine already. Cardi had two sips. I'm ready to roll. That's what I get for drinking Death Wish this early in the morning. <laughs> oh, man. Brent got you on that too, huh? Oh, yeah. I think, I think Brent switched on me, though. I think he went over to Black Rifle. But see, I, I, I'm, I'm giving up on Black Rifle Coffee Company. I enjoyed them when they were a private company, but they sold out to private equity now. So now they've gone to the dark side. So... I think I'm going to have to move, have to find me a new, small, and up-and-coming brand of coffee to start promoting. I mean, once you once you give up to the dark side and sell out for the capital, I mean, it's just downhill from there. You become Starbucks. So, Well, hey, if you have good coffee, I mean, what's, what's the purpose of somebody creating a business at some point, right? You want to uh, no, reap I, your no, I, no, ca- no, I am completely, you know, happy for them that they've made, just you know, quality's gonna just go down a the ton tube, right? of money, right? But now it'll become, you know, Starbucks quality coffee, which isn't great, so... You know, now we need to go find a new little off-brand somewhere to start uh, helping them, helping up them and come, and yeah. So they can be the next, so they can be the next people to sell out in the market, right? Perfect. <laughs> so if you got a good, if you if you've got an up-and-coming brand of coffee, let us know, and uh, send us a sample. We'll try it out. If we like it, we'll start promoting it. We'll so, promote you to all three people, and exactly, we'll share it internally. <laughs> Um, anyway, a couple of things here, as uh, I said. So, you know, as I was talking about second, look, there's the Fed was very adamant yesterday that they are adhering to this idea of hiking rates and winding up the balance sheet. We're now talking about four rate hikes this year. Now, remember, early last year it was two, then it was three, now it's four. So this uh, rate hiking campaign is becoming much more aggressive, and the balance sheet reduction is becoming much more aggressive. So, the point about that is, is, is that's going to create a change to the market environment. Um, as the commercial said a second ago, and as Danny's got coming up uh, very shortly on candy coffee, you know, 2022 is not going to be 2021. They're going to be very different years and a much more challenging year, I suspect. But this is also, you know, a function of a change in liquidity, pandemic-driven benefits, and, you know, a lot of the things that occurred during the pandemic. And and as I was saying earlier, you know, all that liquidity went into an economy that created spending and it pulled forward demand. So, in other words, I gave you a check for $1,400. You didn't save it. You went out and you spent it. What did you buy? Well, you couldn't travel. You couldn't really go out and eat, so you started doing home repairs. I mean, we saw Home Depot and Lowe's. It's so funny, right? During the pandemic, we're all supposed to be locked down. You go to Home Depot, they're crammed with people buying stuff, right? (laughs) You know, they were the super spreader centers (laughs) of COVID during the pandemic. But this is because we gave people all this money, and so they were pulling forward demand. Now, what are they going to spend? And and in fact, Danny, there was a, a recent study on pandemic spending as well. There was. So it's interesting. So John Hancock does a study every year on annual stress finances and well-being report. Right. And so just what you would 
you would think, you know, there's been a little bit of additional stress caused by the pandemic. But surprisingly, there's actually been some areas where people feel a little bit better. There hasn't been as much decision fatigue is what they call it, because people didn't have to make as many decisions based on spending. Right. Hey, where are we going to go out to eat? Where are we going to go? Oh, wait, everything's shut down. We can't can't go anywhere. So believe it or not, that actually was a benefit for many households. Now, coming out of that, we'll see how people respond as far as what what spending habits look like. I think the the big decision, you know, in the households was really, you know, which alcohol to drink. I mean, that was more of the, I think that was the big, you know, and then you, then you wind up not being able to get your favorite alcohol because of the supply chain disruption. So it really became a challenge to get alcohol. Yeah. You know, alcohol investors should feel pretty good because typically, you know, they call them recession proof. Now we can say they're also pandemic proof. They are. So, and people are converting vodka into hand sanitizer. So there you go. Wow. I didn't hear about that one. That's impressive. Hey, all kinds of uses, guys. <laughs> Next time you go to the liquor stores, hey, baby, sanitize it. <laughs> exactly. All good. So, you know, lots of different things that are going on, obviously. But the study did find a handful of things that were, were not too shocking. It said 58% of respondents responded with financial stress. 87% of those said that their finances were a cause of that. Imagine that. Yeah. And, and so some of the bigger things were is that some of the things that I think that we're seeing now is that many people have said that they will not work for a company. And we're seeing this big shift. Mm-hmm that many people are wanting more benefits, right? more retirement benefits, more help, more guidance, financial advice surrounding that. And so I think that this has actually been good in that aspect that made people are a little bit more aware of some of the things that are out there and then what they should, shouldn't be doing. So this has been a, you know, a big push for us as well. You know, as we've, we always try to help clients navigate the retirement space. We've actually, you know, just a little bit over a year ago, hired a retirement plan consultant, Tom Allen. You guys have probably visited with him or heard him on the show a couple of times. And this is something that is really important because now employers are really having to think about how do you retain top talent, especially when we look at, you know, labor force participation rates, employment numbers, people, you know, and then every day you hear new studies that people are leaving jobs to start their own business or do something different. So, yeah, and, and that's an interesting set. And, and remind me about that in a few minutes because yeah. there, you know, every year the uh, Census Bureau comes out with a number of people that are creating new businesses, and that doesn't really jive. Yeah, see, I don't quite get that either because we see all these small businesses shutting down, yet all these other people are leaving to go create their own small mm-hmm. business. I don't know if that environment's real ripe for this, right? Right. Well, and again, the, the data doesn't support it. I just did a study on this uh, just a couple of weeks ago talking about why small caps could be in trouble this year. And, you know, when we talk about, and I know that we're deviating from your topic real quick, but, you know, when you look at the number of businesses that actually have employees, that hasn't changed in like 20 years. Yeah. It's pretty flat. Um, the number of, but the number of small businesses have grown. The problem is, is the ones that are growing are the ones that have no employees. Now, why would I create a business with no employees? Well, those are LLCs, those are LPs, those are being used for family trust, estate planning, um, a lot of things like that for tax shelters, not for actually running a business. So, for instance, I have, I have a family trust. It has no employees, um, but it's there to, to handle the family investments. So, you know, there's a lot of those. And those grow every year. The, the number of businesses that... Between, by the time you strip out the number of businesses that go out of business, 80% of businesses fail. So if you think that you're creating you know, 50 new businesses a year, well, 80% of those are failing. So over time, they really don't change much. And yeah. the number of active businesses out there really haven't grown. So this also really goes into the employment numbers. When we get the employment numbers from the BLS, they have an adjustment every month. It's called the birth death adjustment, which assumes that people ran out, as Danny just said, according to the surveys, everybody's quitting their job to go start a business. And so every month we add, you know, 100, 200,000 people to the roles on this idea that they went out, started a business, and they're no longer counted in the actual employment, right? But they're there. They just created a small business. But the data of the number of businesses in the country doesn't support that either. In fact, the number of businesses have actually declined slightly over the last decade. So- which, which there's which it makes up that which makes a lot of sense. We take a look at labor force participation rates haven't really grown. Actually, yep. have fallen over the last decade. You know, it makes a lot of sense because there's there's a 10 million person gap. If you strip out that BLS birth death adjustment, there's 10 million people missing from the employment report. So where are they? They're 
out there. They retired early. They've done something different. They've taken a part-time job. Yeah, um, they're yeah. no longer counted as part of the labor force. But, you know, going back to your form. point, uh, as far as new businesses being started, especially this last year with the tax code looking to, to change, I yeah. mean, there's a very aggressive push this last year for a change. So many people were, you know, they were jockeying assets, trying to figure out where do they put things in the sense yeah. of trying to protect them. Yep. And so I would assume if we look back at 2021, we'll probably see even more created just because of that, looking at, you know, uh, you know, limited partnerships, mm-hmm. LLCs, things of that nature that do look like a business on the outside looking in. Yep. But at the end of the day, they're just, they're just there to shelter assets. Right. And, and again, this and, and, you know, this is also kind of one of the interesting things when you're talking about pandemic spending and and, you know, you know, people's financial situations. We, you know, we see a very high quit rate right now. Mm-hmm. See people jumping around from job to job because they can get a higher wage. And maybe, and to your point, right, they want more benefits. I think we're going to see a change to that. You know, one of the things that, you know, we're discovering is, is even as our business is that this work from home thing really doesn't work all that well. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to be productive and, and maintain productivity, uh, especially with the younger generation mm-hmm. <laughs> working at home. They need that supervision. They need to be in, in the office. And I think we're going to start to see a lot of companies go, that was a great idea for a while, but we have all this office space here. Yeah. Um, so it's either going to be a, a two-pronged approach. Either major companies are going to start to liquidate their office space if they are going to move to this work-from-home environment. But I have a sneaky suspicion that we're going to see companies go, that wasn't such a great idea. We need people back in the office. We've already seen this with Goldman Sachs and a couple of other big financial firms saying, no, y'all need to come back to the office where you're more productive and you're more focused on your business and what you're doing. Just, just you know, too many distractions at home, too easy to go do other things and then come back to, you know, do work. So, and then, and again, you lose that work-life balance. All of a sudden your yep. work is your life at home. So I think, you know, while the younger millennials go, oh, I like this work from home thing because I can have work-life balance, they're starting to realize already that work just starts to consume. Blend into everything. It just blends into everything, right? So, you know, I think we could see a push for that to come back to the office. And the other side of this is also is that that's going to start, if you start demanding, right, well, I want to work from home. Okay, you can work from home, but we're going to pay you less. Mm -hmm. If you want to work in the office, we'll pay you more and give you more benefits. But if you're going to work at home, you know your your rate is going to be lower, and I think uh, and, and I think we could see that shift. And again, I'm just speculating here. Yeah. But in order to entice people to come back to the office, you incentivize people to come work at the office rather than work at home. Yeah, and I think that's so we'll a, something that'll be interesting to see how that plays out because you think about long term leases, people that have been yeah. there for a while, companies that are still successful yet finding, hey, we can be more efficient maybe if everybody's in one space. Yeah. You know I've had this conversation where yeah. we've done so many Zoom meetings, but it's really nice to get everybody in a room and have a discussion. Yeah, there's something there's something about collaborating and working and, and when you're all working together and collaborating, and, you know, hey, just stopping by the water cooler and say, hey, Danny, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this. You know, you can be much more productive that way than being so detached. And, yeah. and people are, look, there's uh, people getting Zoomed out, right? I mean, they're getting tired of all these Zoom meetings constantly. So... You know, we'll see, we'll see. I think it's, I think twenty. I think this year is going to be very interesting to how that work dynamic begins to change and how it begins to affect wages, uh, commercial property. I think we'll see some big changes this year. Yeah. So anyway, be right back after the break. Asset allocation um, is it for everybody? Is it one size fits all? Uh, Dalbar had a recent comment about that. Be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Enhance your financial success with RIA Advisors' free financial planning tool, MyBlocks. It's our online modular manager for your money and your life. Does your vision of retirement match up to reality? MyBlocks can help to determine how much you'll need and how you can achieve. What worries you about your money? Create your own personal financial vision for the next decade with MyBlocks, our free tool at riaadvisors.com. Click on the client portal tab, riaadvisors.com, riaadvisors.com. Anyone can sell you insurance, and they'll gladly take your premium dollars. The RIA Insurance Agency can provide you with insurance solutions tailor-made for your needs and lifestyle. 
Because everyone's assets are different, let RIA Insurance review what you need to protect and how. We won't sell you insurance, but what you need will be a matter of policy. RIA Insurance Agency. 888-915-0780. 888-915-0780. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. A passive investment portfolio requires active risk management. It's not a choice, it's necessity. Diversification doesn't protect against risk of loss. Let us actively help you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors, 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Can't catch the whole show now? Listen to our podcast later at realinvestmentadvice.com. Can we get to really big news today? Important news. Today is the 110th anniversary of Oreos. Oh, man. They are celebrating it with a new Oreo cookie flavor called chocolate confetti cake chocolate confetti cake. yeah so 110 years that just makes your whole day better doesn't matter how bad things are eat an oreo the real investment show podcast when's the last time you had an oreo uh, 1911 at realinvestmentadvice.com Small businesses are discovering that attracting and retaining top talent come down to more than just salary. In today's highly competitive job market, compensation is more than just wages. Hi, I'm Tom Allen, RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Healthcare and retirement plans can make the difference in hiring and retaining the best employees. We can show you how to build an affordable, effective employment package that delivers true value for your workers and your business. Call me toll-free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Real Investment Show podcasts are now available from Stitcher Smart Radio at stitcher.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. It's a quick and easy application. Just simply click ask a question at realinvestmentadvice.com or give us a call at 855-RIA-PLAN. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube page has all of our videos ready for your easy access. From three minutes on markets and money to each day's radio show like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Back to the show this morning. I'm Rose Lance Roberts. Michael Lee would join me this morning a little bit about the Fed and kind of what's going on here. Um, Jeremy Siegel, who, of course, is the finance professor from Wharton um, and also, you know, involved with ETFs and other things. So it kind of has a bias towards, you know, selling you equities. Um, said this, he says, everything is pointing upward. Everything is going up. Of course, you know, that kind of intuitive insight was what you would expect from a Wharton PhD. Uh, <laughs> okay, just a little bit. Um, of course, he's talking about inflation. He says the, the problem is demand. He says there's too much money chasing too few goods. Um, and that's because of the artificial nature of, of what we put in the economy. But he's, he's saying that, you know, don't worry about it. It's all going to be fine because, you know, the Fed's going to be much more aggressive here. Now, here's, the, here's this kind of idea of trying to thread the needle on a bull case for equities. He says the Fed's going to be far more aggressive here in trying to combat inflation than even what Wall Street thinks. So they're going to hike, according to uh, Jeremy Siegel, they're going to be hiking rates faster. But that's okay because bond prices are going to go down because yields are going to go surging higher because the Fed's hiking rates and stocks will do well because there's simply no other alternative. Now, there's all kinds of problems with that thesis because history says that's not actually what happens. But before we get there, and we're going to come back to that, that point here in a second, um, just recently, Jerome Powell was in front of you know, giving testimony on his renomination, talking about the, the fact that they need to hike rates and run off the balance sheet 
probably at a faster pace than they're already talking about. In fact, Mike, it uh, wasn't just him. It was a couple of other Fed members as well. Uh, yesterday, I thought, was a big one. It was uh, Mester, Loretta Mester from, uh, I believe she's from the Cleveland Fed. And last time I was on, we actually addressed a question from a client of ours uh, asked me earlier. And he said, how does the Fed do QT? So how do they reduce the size of their balance sheet? And the answer was that they let bonds mature. And as bonds mature and they're not buying bonds, the size of the balance sheet decreases. And they have a lot of very short-term bonds. So doing so, even when they're doing QT under that scenario, they still may buy some bonds because they may not want 50 billion maturing in a month. They may only want 30 billion. Mm-hmm. So they have to buy 20 to offset the 50. And then other months, it, it's, it may be the opposite. But what she said yesterday that market didn't seem to care. But I think what I thought was very important was she said they on top of letting bonds mature, they could also sell bonds. That tells me that she at least not speaking necessarily for the Fed, but she at least wants to get rid of the excess QE that they did over the last two years much quicker. Well, and now she, she she but she added a caveat to that. We can we can we can sell back bonds to the market as long as there's financial stability. Financial stability means as long as stock prices do not get crushed. Right. As long as long as everybody's behaving rationally, this is the idea. And it's something right. we've talked about before. You know, this is the whole premise of Hyman Minsky's Minsky moment. In fact, I just wrote an article about this recently is what a Minsky moment is, is when a extended period of a of a bull market um, leads to an excessive over-leveraging of the markets, and then something changes, and this stability that's created by this bullish attitude becomes instable very quickly. And this is what the Fed's dependent on. The Fed's dependent upon this paradox of stability and instability, because what happens is that if, after a long period of stability, stability itself becomes instable. And while the Fed's talking about, oh, we just as long as the markets are stable, it'll be fine. But yet they're doing the very thing that leads ultimately to instability in the markets. And, and, and there's a long history of this. I mean, we can go back to 1980 when the Fed became much more active. And every time, without exception, that the Fed has started to go into a rate hiking campaign, it is ultimately ended in a recession, a market problem or a crisis of some sort. And, you know, it's either directly or indirectly related to the activities of increasing interest rates and impacting monetary accommodation in the markets. Now, you know, and and so and and now they're going to do it again with this idea that they can control it and they're not going to come to this same conclusion that they've come to every single time previously. Right. And I think where this could potentially get interesting down the road is let's just say the S&P is down 15 or 20 percent, but inflation is still chugging along. Mm-hmm. Maybe it drops to six and a half or even six percent. Sure. What are they going to do? Are they going to say, you know what? We're just kidding. We're done. <laughs> We're done with this whole QT thing. Rates are good enough. They're at half a percent now. That's probably fine. Inflation is moderating. And we think that it's going to they're going to use a word like moderating. Yeah. Right. To to like they use transitory and we saw how well that that worked out for them. They're going to use a word moderating, which basically will lead people to think that it's going to go from seven to six to five back all the way back to two over the course of a transitory period. Right. And, mm-hmm. and this is where the rubber hits the road. Maybe they're right. And maybe inflation drops like a rock all the way back to their their beloved two percent. But they're going to have a hard time stopping, stopping doing what they're doing if and the market keeps dropping, if inflation isn't coming down and we can make a strong case that inflation should come down. But we can also make a strong case that inflation may stay where it's at or even increase a little bit. Right. I mean, there's a lot of factors on both sides. What we did to this economy over the last two years is unprecedented and not just in the amount of money that we threw at it or the way the economy was shut down. We've never seen anything like it, but also the psychological and the behaviors of of what's happened to everyone and how they've reacted and how they spend money and how they think about things very differently than they did just two years ago. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. everyone wants to work from home now. Two years ago, 
that wasn't even an option. Right. Right. We're, think about how many people that have bought bought second homes or even third homes or sports cars or it's, you know, to some degree, a lot of people had a midlife crisis, but it's not just those that were midlife. Right. It's a, a lot of people. And all that is working through the economy. And it's not just in America. This is around the world that that many of these same things or factors are going on. And to you have to be extremely humble to think that you, you know, to 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 grasp inflation. And you have to understand that, yes, mathematically, it should certainly come down when we start getting out to March, April, May. Mm -hmm. But this whole wage wage price spiral that you were talking about in the opening segment is real. Yep. Wages are going up. People are quitting their jobs. They can't hire them. They can de- employees can demand a lot more. And right now, companies can pass on those higher wages back to those same people for now. So and, and but there's a real and I want to I want to be really clear about something you just said is that you said that, yeah, inflation may start to moderate and come back a bit, um, you know, as we get later into the year. And that's that that is correct. Um, from the standpoint that we measure inflation on a year-over-year basis. That doesn't mean that prices actually got cheaper. And I think this is the one thing that people really miss out on in terms of, and and the Fed itself, right, is that, you know, if we just do a little bit of work here, inflation is going to come down naturally just from the standpoint of how we measure inflation but as far as the consumer goes and what happens economically, if, if gas stays at $4 a gallon for an entire year, then there's been no inflation in energy prices, right? But they're still paying $4 a gallon in gasoline. And if wages don't catch up with that, that's going to become problematic for them to make ends meet. That's going to be problematic for the economy. So again, just because we say inflation is going to come back here and we could approach back to 2% inflation doesn't mean things actually get cheaper. No, but here's another side to that argument. What if we prices really start coming down and we actually get deflation? Wages are also sticky, right? Mm-hmm. It's very rare when you hear an employer telling their employees, oh, you're going to take a pay cut this year. Yeah, but you know right? what's not so sticky? The, what? You know what's not sticky? What's that? Employment. If, you, if, if wages are sticky, that's correct. But what's not sticky right. is, is that companies will start laying off workers. Right. And that's the point. So if prices start coming way down and, and wages now have been jacked up for two years, you got a potential, you got the same problem on the other side of the coin. And that's where you get an employment problem. Right. And that's why these factors are massive and they're unprecedented. And the Fed doesn't have nearly as much control over all this stuff as anyone thinks they do. There, there are factors they do not control. And <laughs> that's why, you know, you have to keep your head head up and think about all different kind of scenarios and how they affect your investments and how they affect your life. Yeah. Well, budget. Yeah, when we come back from the break, I, I do want to go back to what uh, Jeremy Siegel said about bonds, because I think it's really that's going to be a really kind of critical component this year. You know, his exact statement was, is that, you know, stocks are real assets. You just can't hold paper assets, which are bonds. And I find this very interesting because he says stocks are a real asset. Bonds are a paper asset. I don't want to talk about that when we come back, because that's not really correct. And the other side of this is, is that there is an alternative to stocks and investors tend to find that alternative when things don't go well in markets. And we'll talk about both of those statements from Jeremy Siegel. We come back with Michael Leibowitz right after the break.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Small businesses are now being challenged by the lack of employees and how to attract and recruit the best employees. To get the better employee, you'll have to offer a better package. Hi, I'm Tom Allen, RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Don't assume a 401k plan is too costly or complicated for your small business to offer. Let us show you how to make the most of an affordable and effective plan that will deliver true value for your business and your employees. Call me toll free at 855-RIA plan or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. Anyone can sell you insurance and they'll gladly take your premium dollars. The RIA Insurance Agency can provide you with insurance solutions tailor-made for your needs and lifestyle. Because everyone's assets are different, let RIA Insurance review what you need to protect and how. We won't sell you insurance, but what you need will be a matter of policy. RIA Insurance Agency. 888-915-0780. 888-915-0780. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab. What worries you about your money? Enhance your financial success with RIA Advisors' free financial planning tool, MyBlocks. It's our online modular manager for your money and your life. Does your vision of retirement match up to reality? MyBlocks can help to determine how much you'll need and how you can achieve. Create your own personal financial vision for the next decade with MyBlocks, our free tool at RIAAdvisors.com. Click on the Client Portal tab, RIAAdvisors.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. Manage risk and volatility rather than trying to manage gains. You don't have to be right all the time. Long-term investing success is a 70% gain. Let us help you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors. 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Ryan Roberts. Michael Leibowitz showing me as well. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest blog posts, newsletters, all that up on our website. Videos, daily commentary is out this morning. So look, it's all on the website. Tons of stuff there to keep you up to date on what's happening with markets and your money. Just simply go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. So uh, as I said just for the break, uh, Jeremy Siegel, professor from Wharton, says that there is no alternative uh, for stocks in the markets, and trading is going to help buttress the equity markets as bonds get hit. Now, he's talking about as the Fed starts to hike rates and tighten monetary liquidity, that stocks are going to be just fine and bonds are going to be the ones that take a hit. Now, he goes on to say this. He says, stocks are real assets. You just can't hold paper assets like bonds. Okay, let me start with that statement real quick here. So first of all, if you buy or sell a stock, you have bought a piece of paper and you're hoping that that piece of paper goes up in price. Warren Buffett, when he buys stock, he buys enough stock in the company that he walks into the board of directors meeting and says, excuse me, pointing to the guy at the head of the table, you're in my chair. And... That's the difference between being an investor and being a speculator in the markets. You and I and Mike and Brent and everybody else, we speculate in the markets because, look, let's be realistic. All we're doing is buying pieces of paper, hoping they go up in price, and we're going to sell them at a higher price later. We're not making decisions for the company. In fact, most of the companies you probably buy, you have no idea what the company actually does anyway. You're just buying them because somebody told you to on CNBC or the stock price is going up. You don't really do that much research in buying stocks. That's the majority of people. I'm not, I'm not insulting you. Just don't get me wrong. But most people, they don't, do, they don't put in the work and the research to buy an asset. An asset is a piece of real estate that you own. An asset is a block of gold that, or a bar of gold that you own. Those are real assets. Those are assets that you buy, you hold. They have a physical, physical capacity to them. Stocks don't. Bonds, too, they're paper, right? Difference is, is bonds, particularly when issued by the government or an obligation by the government to fully repay your principal at maturity plus all of your interest payments. You do not get that guarantee with stocks. 
So if I was going to call one a real asset over another, I would call government bonds a real asset versus stocks, you know, paper stocks that I'm trading and hoping for a profit and have no guarantee of principal in. Um, so just to clarify, yeah. I just wanted to clarify that point. Now, here, and Mike, and so Mike, coming to you about this, you know, when we're talking about quantitative easing and tightening, you know, he's saying that interest rates are going to go soaring higher because the Fed is tightening interest rates, but history doesn't really bear that out. Oh, contraire. History has shown that every time the Fed tapers or stops doing QE, interest rates go down. There's also one instance of QT in 2018 where the Fed actually reduced the size of their balance sheet and yields dropped by about a full 1% in a very steep decline. So what history has shown is that when the Fed is going to do what is is tapering what they're what they're they're starting to do now but come March when QE ends yields could drop significantly. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's and, because, and by the way just back to 2018 stocks didn't fare all that well either. Right. Yeah, stocks you were had down two 20%. 20% declines yeah. that year. Yeah. And then if you remember no one remembers this but in 2019 because the economy was starting to lag a little bit and there were some problems with hedge funds that weren't able to make as much money as they're used to making. <laughs> the Fed lowered interest rates three times and they started doing QE with Treasury bills that they refused to call QE, even though it's QE. Right. They called it <laughs> uh, repo. <laughs> Reverse so we repo. saw where the last QT got us. Exactly. And that was before COVID. That had nothing to do with COVID at the time. Right. So, yeah, but Lance, just one quick point. You're comparing treasury bonds to stocks, and that's not necessarily apples to apples. Mm -hmm. Let's just compare apples to apples. An IBM corporate bond versus IBM stock. Sure. Which would you rather have? IBM corporate bond. You can make an argument each way. (laughs) If IBM defaults, IBM has to sell their factories, make good on whatever debt. So as an IBM bondholder, you may get 30 or 40 cents on a dollar. Mm-hmm. As an IBM shareholder, you're likely to get nothing or pennies on the dollar. Yeah. So, so bonds actually have a higher place in the in the structure in the financial structure for companies than it does stocks. Yeah. So, and, and, and let's run through that really quick because I think that's important. In the event of a bankruptcy for a company, there is an order of payment that the judge will look at and say, okay, so IBM they've got a billion dollars worth of stuff, right? Or a hundred billion, you pick your number. First people to get paid, IRS. <laughs> so any back taxes, whatever, your government takes their share first. Then payroll, anybody that's owed payroll, et cetera, employees, et cetera, they're, they're paid. Then comes bonds and bondholders are next in line and they get whatever's, left. so to Mike's point, they go to sell off the, the factories, the real estate, everything else. And then this isn't a pure bankruptcy. Now, this is not in a restructuring where they just basically, you know, restructure the balance sheet. This is in the environment where you're talking about a a complete liquidation. Uh, Bondholders then get whatever's left. Now, if there's anything left over after bondholders are paid at full face value, then it goes to preferred stockholders. And then if there's anything left over as a shareholder, you might get something that's left. Generally, it never gets past the bondholders. Correct, Mike? Correct. And when we look at the chances of default, the way to do it is you don't look at the price of a bond. And if a bond price is 100, that's called par, and it matures at par, you could say there's a 0% chance of default. But let's say that price drops to 90. Mm -hmm. Well, now they're pricing in a 10%. It's not really the way it works because there's what's called a liquidation value. So what, you know, IBM's liquidation value may be very different than Ford's or very different than Google's. So Ford's may be 20 cents on a dollar. Google's may be 50 cents on a dollar. So if something drops from 100 to 90, it's out of 50, not out of the full 100 that they start assessing the default value. But keep in mind, if the bond holders don't get back 100 cents on a dollar, there's nothing left for preferred and equity holders. <laughs> exactly. And, and so this is and the, the point that we bring, the reason we, we, we bring this up is really twofold is one, you know, bonds often get a bad rap by the media because, well, they're not producing double digit returns in a year. And we're all swept up into this gambling attitude about the markets. It's like, oh, you know, how much money can I make? Well, that's all great as long as markets are going up. But don't forget that markets can also go down. 
and you can lose a lot of money. And the, and the good thing about bonds and the reason we own bonds in our portfolios as well is because there is, they lower volatility of the overall portfolio. They, per, they perform better. They're what we call in, in our terms, in terms of portfolio management, we call them a risk off asset. So market works very simplistically on a risk on risk off attitude. And if you'll notice, this is always the case. When markets are tending not to do well, bonds tend to do better. That's because money's coming out of equities and looking for a place of safety. And so we tend to see those flow into 10-year treasury notes, et cetera. It's a risk-off trade. Um, Bitcoin's a good example of this, right? When you know stocks aren't doing well, Bitcoin doesn't do well because it's all a risk-off trade. So again, you know, having something in your portfolio that tends to be that risk-off trade you know, acceptor, what the, the part of your portfolio that gains from that risk-off trade helps lower that volatility. If we get into a market environment where the Fed is tightening rates, they are reducing liquidity, as we were talking about, the market's going to start moving towards more of a risk-off attitude. If I'm going into a risk-off attitude, I have two choices, cash or bonds. And bonds pay more than cash. So from, a, from an investor standpoint and from a manager standpoint, I'm going to buy 10-year treasury notes because... I have enough duration that as yields fall, I make capital appreciation on my bonds. But I also, if things don't work out exactly the way I think, I have a set maturity that I'm going to get all my money back plus an interest stream over time. So I've got a guarantee of payment. And this is an important part that we brought up previously. I'm going to have to, re, have to re, revive this article talking about the. Th there's only three things that you can get from any investment. You can get return, safety, or yield. But you, can't, you can only have two of three of those things, you can't have all three. You can't have return, safety, and yield. So in bonds, I have safety and I have yield. In stocks, I have return and I've got liquidity, right? But I don't have safety. And that's the important part about that is the is the idea that, you know, stocks are not a safe investment. They are a pure risk investment. We're speculating on prices and you've got to be aware of when that speculation is now turning against you. You're basically when you add bonds to a portfolio, you're hedging return and safety. You're you're adding both to the portfolio, so your portfolio can have pieces of all three. Right. Even though each individual security doesn't, it's a way to to get all three that you can't get in any one security. Right. And look, but and let's be clear though. If you do that, you're not going to pace a benchmark index. So in other words, if you know, if you add, say, a function of safety and liquidity to your portfolio, you know, you are not going to be able to pace an all equity index that is pure speculation. And, you know, but this is where we've got to align our goals and what our, our real investment goals are with how we allocate our portfolio. And, you know, right now, though, we've taught an entire generation of people that have never been through a bear market to only buy stocks because that's all they've ever seen go up. Right, right. A bear market that has lasted more than three days. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, they may find they may find out this year what a real bear market looks like. We'll you know, or maybe next year. We'll see what happens. But uh, anyway, Mike, thanks so much for the time. Uh, yep. Be sure you get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com. Mike's latest article is out actually talking about stocks and bonds. It's on the website now. The outlook for 2022 stocks and bonds. Uh, it goes through a good analysis on that. Also. Uh, our daily market commentary comes out every morning at 730. Uh, just click the banner on the web page. And of course, uh, you'll get subscribed and we'll deliver it to you every morning. Kind of gives you a quick rundown, very short synopsis about what's happening in the markets and what to kind of be looking out for earnings, economic reports, etc. And of course, also check out our new subscriber platform, simplevisor.com. That's simplevisor.com, where we can manage all the money for you digitally. It's all on the website, simplevisor.com. Be back tomorrow for Financial Fitness Friday with Danny and Richard. In the meantime, have a great day. Stick around. Three minutes of Markets and Money coming up shortly. It's a rich man's world. It's a rich man's world.